As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we talked with Dave Naveau. He's the co-founder of Hubstaff. What'd you guys think? It was really interesting to talk to Dave because they're really focused on SEO and what that means in making blog posts, in creating these integrations with other products, and then writing about it. And we haven't really had an episode yet about SEO, so it was interesting to see what the easy wins are for other companies out there. Yeah, this is one of those episodes where you grab a notebook, start taking notes on uh, on how you can actually make your blog post go a little bit farther. It's so much time to write this content, and he gives us some strategies of what to do after and wh- what to think about while you're writing it that will make them extend the life of them beyond just sharing on, on Twitter and social media. Yeah, let's get into it. 
We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I talked to Max of Why Decision about why he uses Hover. I was using Enom and GoDaddy for domain registrars, and I was looking for something different. I came across uh, Hover then. What I really liked about Hover was it was easy to use. I had a clean interface. I'm a designer by heart, so I like things like that. Go to Hover.com and use the code SATISFIEDCUSTOMERS to get 10% off your domain purchase today. HostGator is the easiest way to get your business up and running fast. This week, I talked to their marketing coordinator, Kyler, about his favorite part of working at HostGator. See, my favorite part is when I get to go to trade shows and get to meet people who know who we are. People will give me hugs. Uh, people talk about how much they love us. And that's my favorite part is getting to see that kind of stuff. Go to HostGator forward slash promo forward slash rocket ship to get 30% off today. You've heard me rave about CodeShip before. It's because they're an incredible team building an amazing product that makes my days happier and my code more reliable. Recently, they shipped an incredible new feature. It's called Parallel CI, and it allows for faster testing than ever before. Early access customers like Product Hunt have improved their development speed tremendously. If you haven't yet, tell your dev team to start a free trial. They have a super generous free plan, and they also offer 20% off three months to all Rocketship listeners. Sign up at codeship.com forward slash Rocketship. Tell us what is Hubstaff. Hubstaff is a, uh, a time tracking and monitoring tool for remote teams. So we uh, are able to track project time. Each individual member, you can understand what they're doing better, just helps remote teams operate on a, you know, on a more transparent and efficient kind of manner. So you come from an SEO background and you've kind of used that to help grow Hubstaff. Tell us kind of what, what aspects do you focus on when you're looking at a startup and what's important on the SEO side? I would say every startup has the ability to do really well with SEO. Um, it's just a matter of uh, you know how much time and effort you want to put into that individual strategy. Um, it's one of the best ways to get people because they come from I think a natural standpoint, and their intent is to is is always good. You know, it's it's they mm-hmm. feel like they discovered what they were looking for versus more paid advertising, for example, when they feel kind of more pushed into the solution. That makes any sense. But yeah, yeah, so we, you know, just on a very base level, I mean, we, what we've found successful is putting out really good content and then using that content to then generate, generate links and generate traffic. We do a lot of that ourselves, uh, meaning we try to distribute that as much as possible, which gets us a nice bump in traffic. And then the links come from all of the people that are actually visiting the page in the first place. So how are you sharing that content around? Um, because we've, a lot of, Early stage companies will start by like going on Medium or some other platform where there's kind of a natural discovery um, and yeah. then migrate to their own blog and start to pick up, you know, the SEO juice that takes a long time. How do you start with your own blog and start building that up from the beginning without sacrificing the ability to get eyeballs on it? Yeah, well, we did sacrifice. I mean, it's so like I think you have to and you've got to be willing to do that. I think you can do both. I think you can put the content first on the blog the strategy that we do is to put the content first on the blog and then basically kind of rewrite that on a medium or a even on Quora or LinkedIn publishing, right? You can do you can kind of rewrite it and we put it 
typically shorter, but I wouldn't rely on medium as a whole because I want to get that. I, it's always important to get a foundation laid. You know what I'm saying? In SEO, it takes months and months to get a good foundation laid. And then once you've got that, you know, it's kind of like an exponential return because it's almost like anything you publish then will rank. So, or when you're republishing on these other sites, something that I've always heard about is the issues with duplicate content and how if the same yeah. article appears in two places, you can get penalized. Does that not apply when you're writing for core and medium or is it just not? No, that it does. I think it, do, it does, but I rewrite them enough to where you wouldn't even, I, I, I physically rewrite oh, them okay. myself. So like they're not, it's just not a copy and paste job. I mean, it's, it's a different you know, set of content. And, you know, I don't really use medium that much, but I do use like LinkedIn and Quora. And so what I'll do is like, maybe like, uh, do like a blog excerpt and then basically just link out to my, to my main site. So when you're kind of deciding what to write, where are you finding the topics, um, that you want to then SEO? Yeah. So that's a, uh, good question. There's two ways to do it. The first way to do it, which I think is the not as powerful way to do it, I guess I'd say okay. is to kind of start with what you want to write about and then basically let the, and then try to like somehow reorganize that topic after the fact to match it up with an idea that you think would drive in traffic. So the, the positive, the, the, the pro of that is that you're really becoming, you're coming off natural and you're writing exactly about what you want to write about without worrying about any kind of keywords, without worrying about anything, right? It's just the topic that you feel like is the best to share with your, with your audience. But on the other hand, you know, you've got, or you can start more with a keyword and a topic. And I think that's the better way to do it when you're considering pure SEO, because then you can start from the beginning outline standpoint of, of like, you know, forming the initial content and you can make sure that you're using that keyword a lot and you're setting the article upright to, to really talk about that keyword. And that's going to have a big impact on the ranking of that particular post. So how do you determine what keywords you want to focus on? I mean, what um, specifically, like what tools do you use? Well, I usually think, do a lot of thinking about what people would be typing in to find the software. And then we'll go out and, you know, you can use like a Google, you know, keyword tool, or you can use like a Google suggest, you could even like just type in an idea, like, you know, just for example, startup idea, you know what I'm saying in, in Google itself. And they're going to throw out, you know, how you, you start typing and it'll mm-hmm. pop down like 10 different options. Right. So those are like, that's that's great research right there. But I think more importantly, it's like you also have to go and look at other way, other verticals and other potential solutions. Like my business, you know, time tracking software or time tracking software with minute, with with monitoring or, or those type of keywords, um, they're just not searched that much. So I have to really look at other verticals and other niches and go really long tail and write a lot more content. So that's really where I've focused is scaling the content, if that makes any sense. So we, pu- we publish about three times a week and all of, the, all of the posts that we send out are like a thousand words plus. We really go after it pretty hard in terms of volume, but it's all at the same time, it's all good content. So I've paid a lot of attention and really built out the whole strategy to publish a lot of posts. And, you know, after you've got like 300 posts on a blog, it's like you are an authority in the space, really kind of no matter what that, no matter what that space is. 
when Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Does the content have to be all on that that topic? So those 300 posts, are the, is the fact that they're all around time tracking um, or does it matter if they're just 300 posts on a blog? Everything that we do is set up correctly regarding the tags, regarding the titles, regarding the the length of the content. So, and it's not all like, I, I, I don't think, you know, it would be cool if you could do 300 posts on time tracking, but that would be pretty hard to do. We focus, you know, I have to do a lot on, I do employee monitoring. I do GPS tracking. I do iPhone app track. So you've, that's what I'm saying with the verticals. You got to look at like the different niches you can get into. So we do time tracking for Linux, for for Windows, for all of these various different platforms. And then we have all the integration partners. So we do time tracking for all of that. So that that's kind of like the overall strategy. But then also, you know, looking just at other niches like legal and real estate and, and all of these various different um, potential customers that we could go after. This is a very time consuming process. Yeah. Sorry. We're going to have to edit this because I'm stumbling a little bit, but this is a very um, time consuming thing for you to do. It can be expensive if you're hiring people to do it and it takes a long time, although it is very powerful once you build it up. If you were going to kind of carve out pieces of a pie of how much effort and resources go into different parts of SEO, what would content creation like this make up? And then what are the other things you're doing that might be a little less intensive? Some easy wins. Yeah, there. You know, it's so hard. There really aren't that many easy wins anymore. Uh, there used to be. There's not anymore. And I, I really, it's like one of those things where it's like you're better off just doing it the right way the first time, and um, and just letting things happen naturally. Um, so we put like, to, you know, to answer your question another way, we put almost all of our effort into content creation. So about eighty percent, and then about twenty percent. Uh, I, I, it's almost all we do is content creation and distribution, but that, but then there's a few other small things. So my math didn't add up exactly correct, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, it's pretty much right. It's like 80% content creation and 20% distribution in the beginning of, of doing this, you know, you got to spend about 50, 50 on, on creation and distribution, but we don't do anything regarding really any links. All of that kind of happens naturally. Tell us a little more about that. Um, the distribution side. On the distribution side, so like we go out and we do a lot on social media. So like one thing that we do, for example, I do some a lot of like roundup posts where we'll go out and we'll find, you know, the top 10 podcasts or something like that. And then we'll mention the podcast. I mean, that's just an example because I'm on a podcast right now. But I mean, we do we do the top 10 social media influencers. We do the top 10 email software providers, you know, all these various things. And then what we'll do is using social media, we'll, we'll at mention, you know, their company and we'll at mention the founders of that company. And that gets us a lot of like retweets and traffic to the site. So that's one, that's one area. And like I said, I kind of, I rehash what I'm doing on, um, like LinkedIn on Quora. We post on Reddit a lot. We post on growth hackers. We post on inbound.org. We post on 
all the you know other social media platforms, um, Google Plus, that kind of thing. Don't do a whole lot with like groups because it's kind of we found it to be kind of ineffective. I, I like Twitter the best personally, and and that's kind of that's kind of it, you know. And then we'll recycle the content though as well. And like I'll do sometimes I'll do a video overview. I'll do a if I spend. Like sometimes I'll spend up to like 10 hours doing a blog post. And if I do that, then I might spend another, you know, hour or so doing a walkthrough video of that blog post and then post that to YouTube. You can produce infographics. You can get on Fiverr and do an infographic of the blog post uh, because really the hardest part of all the infographic is, is the data part of it. It's easy to do the graphic part of it if, some, if you can give somebody the data. So you can do that, um, and then you have all these other outlets you can post to. You know, you can post to now to your, to visually. You can post to YouTube and and like you know Vimeo and all these various different places, right? For your for your content. So that's kind of the name of the game. How do you know when to take a blog post topic and give it the full treatment, and when that you know maybe it's just not a winner, if you will? Yeah, yeah, that's a good. I, you know, to answer the question, I mean, I don't. Uh, unless I, I find that when we do, like I was saying earlier, like the roundup post, we don't do it. We don't do that stuff for, for the roundup post because it wouldn't be, I mostly do it for the post that I'm spending a lot of time writing uh, myself because I don't write all the posts myself. We have a lot of writers as well. How do you get those writers? Uh, we go out and spend a lot of time finding and t- testing. And that leads kind of into like the remote stuff that we do. I mean, uh, you know, part of, you know, one of the biggest jobs that I have is going out and finding talent. So developers and, and writers and marketers, I look on LinkedIn. I, I look a lot on LinkedIn. I look on AngelList. You can find some people, like I said, on Fiverr, you can find people on, um, you can find people sometime on the, sometimes on the big freelance marketplaces, you know, Odesk, Elance, that kind of thing. But I usually don't do that a whole lot, mostly LinkedIn and Fiverr. So what are some of the biggest challenges that a remote team faces? You know, I think it's mostly about communication. Yeah. You know, I, I really think it's based around communication. I don't think it's – I think and, – and it really boils down to so much about the management side of it. Like um, when I say management, I mean like the person running the team. I feel like if they have their act together, the rest of the team follows suit. But if they don't, if they're not trained and they're not doing things the right way themselves, then it's just, it's really hard. Do you think it's different than managing a team that is, you know, in the same building every day? Oh yeah. I think it's a hundred percent different. I think it's night and day. What are some of the big, I guess, cause it's so new, right? I mean, this is like a, a couple of years that, that we've even mm-hmm. been talking about scaling companies that are remote. What do you think the skill differences lie or what are some of the things that people who are building remote teams need to be thinking about when they're managing teams that may be different than when they've managed teams that are all in the same building? Yeah, I think that it's so much easier for people to not know what to do, you know, and that's the main thing is I think it's easier for people not to understand their priorities. And that goes back to communication again, but it's like, you know, in a remote team, I mean, you know, it's so much easier for somebody to wake up at home and be like, what do I do today? And, and it works both ways. They could have a hundred things assigned to them and they're lost and they're, they're kind of like, you know, kind of like they're just lost um, or they could have not enough work to do. And you can't just come in and, and into the office and, you know, ask your manager, you can't. You, typically, you, those stand-up meetings that kind of happen in office and just the overall communication 
uh, doesn't exist. I mean, there are days where I go by, you know, many days without talking to uh, a person that a particular person that works for me. Do you have to hire different kind of people then who don't need you? Or are there ways that you can kind of instill that in the culture, the distributed culture that allows them to be comfortable with not talking to you there? Yeah. The guy who's I mean, driving the vision, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, so the thing is, is I, I only hire what I consider to be people that can take things all the way through to implementation. And I think that's a big differentiator. Like I try to remove myself from the bottleneck because the bottleneck in a remote team is much larger. You know, you can't just come and get an answer as easily. And most of the time, it's not even about the ability to, to not communicate or, or because you're not in the same, you know, uh, room. It's more about because, you know, Skype and that kind of thing works fine for that. But the, but the bigger issue is the time zones because most of my people are sleeping when I'm working. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, or they have, you know, they're working, they start, they start at like three or 4 AM EST, uh, Eastern time, you know, it's like an overlap of a few hours and then they're out. So that's the bigger issue is that you have to get used to using these tools um, and, and setting priorities and making sure everyone knows what to do when they wake up in the morning, you know what I'm saying? Without, ha- without having to have that discussion. What about like when issues come up like five in the morning and I'm stuck, how do you kind of deal with those, the, those kind of instances that I assume happen? Yeah. Part of it with the remote team, part of it is that, yeah, I think you, I get, well, I, I personally, I work, uh, more hours, I think, but I work kind of like. I mean, I could be answering questions on Trello on my iPhone app when I'm out mowing, mowing the yard, you know? Okay. Like, so like, <laughs> yeah. that's part of it is you have to get used to kind of working in that environment. But, and the reason I say that is because that might be, you know, six thirty seven PM at night and I'm out doing something else and, you know, somebody else is on their time zone where they're working. But the, but the, the main reason that I, or the main way that I, that I kind of arrange that is, um, I give people three tasks to work on. At all times, three or four, you know, not 20, but th- really three or four. And so if they get stuck, they always know, they always have something else they can pick up. Okay. You know, they always have something else to pick up. But and I don't want it to be like a hundred things either because I don't want them, I want to make sure that, that everyone's focused on in the same direction. Do you organize your team at all uh, by location? So like, you know, a designer and developer in the same, in the same at least time zone. Um, is any of that no. important? No. no, I just look at hundred percent that all that stuff is a hundred percent based on skill and their and their, their, the amount that they care and the, and, and how good they are. Okay. Interesting. So how do you keep it straight for over 10 people having always having something new on their plate? It seems like that would be something that would just consume your whole day. It does consume a lot of it um, sometimes, but I'm really getting it down. I'm really starting to get it down. This is where I'm like, I'm trying to really write a lot about this kind of stuff on my blog and on, I'm trying to write, cause I think this is a problem that a lot of people have. And so, um, you know, it is kind of hard, but we, we use Trello to manage the projects and then we bring all, all that data comes right into Hubstaff and basically the, their time is tracked in Hubstaff. But, you know, in terms of the priority setting, I mean, Trello is the main thing. I get everything out of email, no email. I try not to use Skype as much because it's undocumented and Trello just has everything there that's documented, you know? So, so that's kind of like our communication hub. And I force people to kind of go through there. Yeah. Even though it's not perfect for it, but it does work. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Would you ever, do you ever miss having everyone in the same room or do you guys do retreats every, every so often? 
We do not. We're going to start. Uh, we're going to start with the co-founders, and then we're okay. going to uh, yeah have everybody uh, do it. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean, I, sometimes I miss it. You know, sometimes I wish that I had place I could go, and I wish I was more part of the community. Um, I wish I was getting to know people that were you know my age and you know, going out and having beers after work and that kind of thing. But other times, you know, I've got two little kids and it's very, um, it's very nice for me to be able to do things with them and get to know them while I, you know, while they're young. Yeah. It, it goes so quick. Yeah. And that's cool that you get to enjoy it. Um, where do we keep up with you and, and hub staff online? Yeah. So, uh, Twitter, you know, at hub staff, uh, I am Dina vote D N E V O G T. I'm the blog is the best place blog.hubstaff.com. Cool. Uh, really. Yeah. I mean, that's where I publish, you know, all this stuff. And my email is davidhubstaff.com. Just uh, shoot me an email if you want to. And that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Dave. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you all. Looking for more entrepreneurial content? Check out the podcast App Masters, where Steve talks with David Nill about becoming a better and funnier speaker. Or a speaking gig, or even just talk like an MC. I've emceed a couple of different weddings. I'm always nervous at the very start, and but then after the first couple of words come out, I'm good to go. And so, what I tend to like to do is I say, if especially if somebody introduces me, I'll just say, "Hey guys, give it up for." whatever david thank you so much and then you know get the crowd going and give them clapping and it allows me to kind of call my nerves because then i got the first couple of words out there do you do you have any tips for somebody who might be struggling with the same thing yeah and that's a very good one so if the mc you really need to give the mc a good introduction that sets you up so you don't have to explain who you are when you take the stage you want to have an introduction but what you said there is a great technique comedians use it all the time they often use it in a sequence of three so if the room, Irish people can't pronounce tree, by the way, as your <laughs> listeners just figured out, that is the number tree for clarity. And um, But comedians, every time you've been in a comedy club, you'll remember hearing, give it up for your bar and wait staff. Give it up for your host. Give it up for yourselves for coming out and being an audience tonight. And that it, it creates a pattern where the audience gets used to laughing. It also buys you time as a speaker to think, but... Uh, I would say you need to nail the first 30 seconds of your presentation. They're the most important. It's what you should have rehearsed and researched the most. You should put the most... Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And make sure to check out our app discount section, where we feature discounts from amazing companies like Treehouse, Wistia, Woo Themes, all giving you exclusive discounts for being a Rocketship listener. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials.